Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, I am joined by Party Katri. How's it going, Party? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing well. I, you know, I, I cannot lie to you. I used this weekend a little bit as a refresher, stepped away. As the kids say, I touched, I touched some grass. I tried to stay, stay away oh, that's from screens wonderful. as much as I could. Yeah. Um, but we still have some stuff to talk about. We've got some, some light stuff to talk about. We have one U.S. Human, U.S. women's national team game. There's one NWSL game to talk about. Um, but I think honestly, this week is going to be a little bit more just larger conversations about some of the NWSL season as a whole. Um, some philosophical questions about the U.S. and um, just sort of where we're going from here because playoffs are rapidly approaching. We're getting there. One more weekend left of the NWSL regular season. So let's start with the United States women's national team. They played a game last Thursday against South Korea. They played it in Kansas City. It was a sellout, big crowd in Kansas City. Carly Lloyd's second to last game, right, as a, as a U.S. player. Uh, no goals, goal free, zero, zero draw with South Korea. Now I had to watch this on a replay. I did not watch this one live. And did you watch this as it was being played party? I did. I okay. did. Tell me, uh, we'll, we'll maybe give the two perspectives. Tell me how it felt watching the U S sort of struggle to break South Korea down in this game. I think, I mean, for me, I'm trying to put it in perspective, right? Cause at the end of the day, this team still did enough to win the game. Sure. Part of it was like, I mean, they still had, I thought, enough genuine opportunities to convert. Part of it was that, you know, their goalkeeper, Yoon, had a wonderful game. Mm-hmm. Just a great job. But I mean, it felt like a quintessential this game kind of doesn't matter because there's no mission to accomplish with this game sort yeah, of thing that I think you're, I think you're hitting on something definitely that uh, as, as for lack of a better word, the vibe. And I think that this was something that people watching it live got frustrated with understandably and me watching it on replay. I was like, well, it's a little bit easier to have the bigger picture when you're not watching it as it's happening. Um, th- this game is actually really fascinating to me. I think there's more to talk about here than if it had been like a five, nothing blowout or anything like that. Oh, I so, totally agree with that. A couple of things. Thing number one, Um, South Korea was very organized defensively, not only in formation and it's not really like they parked the bus, though they did have a lot of players behind the ball, but they had a very, um, precise press that they were trying to maintain in the middle of the field. And they were basically just trying to make it really hard for the U S to pass out of pressure, um, and just sort of gum up whatever the U S was trying to do. Now, I actually thought the U.S. did a decent job of progressing the ball despite this. I didn't think the midfield played poorly. It was a midfield of Katarina Macario, Lindsay Horan, and Rose Lavelle. I thought they actually did pretty okay with that um, starting out. The finishing was not quite there, though. And I, I maybe want to take this in two halves because the main takeaway that I took away from this match was we're seeing a team with two personalities right now. And... I think that there are parts of that personality that is still kind of finding a wall, hitting their head against the wall a little bit. And then there are some real bright points pointing to the future. So I want to start with the first half, this front three of Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, and Tobin Heath. Did you think, I would say that for me, I'll, I'll start with a statement and then ask the question. That disconnect in the front three was probably the only part of this game that gave me Tokyo vibes a little bit. I actually mm. thought the defense was mostly okay. I mean, the fullbacks, I think it took them about 15, 20 minutes to get into the game, but they calmed down a little bit. thought the center back play was fine. They got caught in transition sometimes. It happens. Um, midfield did much better finding each other. That front three, though, those three, and it's not on any particular player, but that was still, to me, thinking like, these guys are not finding each other. What did you think yeah. about that in that first? Yeah, time? I I agree. I'm just jumping back a little bit. For me, the point of interest in this match was the U.S. playing South Korea, particularly mm-hmm. again that midfield battle that you addressed. I thought was really interesting, and yeah. like you said, I thought the midfielders did okay with that. I think it is, but to go to your the question you just asked, I think it is really. I think it's almost surprising to see that. 
the that three is still lacking some cohesion. Mm-hmm. Um, I still can't quite pinpoint what that's about, but I think it's interesting that that's a longer term issue. Yeah. I have to say that I think at least on Morgan's part and maybe Rapino's part too. I don't know if they've even been in the best form since the Olympics. So I don't know, but the, the, maybe the thing for me that causes it significance that I wouldn't otherwise place on it is I think you can, there's a lot of things you can say about it being a friendly, right? It's, it's post Olympics. They're tired. They've had a long year. Um, Megan Rapino is coming back from injury. She hasn't played a full 90 in a long time. Um, Tobin Heath is still getting comfortable with her new club situation in Arsenal. She's the one that had to travel the most, all of that sort of stuff. But it gives you greater pause because of the Tokyo experience, I think. Because yeah. I think a lot of times <clears throat> you can look at the team and say, oh, well, they'll turn it on when it matters, right? But in a year where they weren't able to do that, you maybe look at this performance with a little bit more scrutiny. Now, I will say that I thought Alex Morgan played very nicely in the second half with the other two wingers that came on um, with Sophia Smith and, and Mallory Pugh. I thought that there was some cool, cool stuff going on there. Alex Morgan did not have a great finishing night, right? You think maybe if she yeah. places some stuff, this game ends one to nothing, something like that. Um, so maybe let's talk about the emotions of it a little bit. We talk about, again, two personalities. We have the veterans, right? We have the players that have been with the team for a long time who are very understanding of the ebbs and flows of the international calendar. This would definitely be an ebb, not a flow. Um, But then you have these other players who are trying to gear up to make a run at this roster, right? You've got Katarina Macario, Mallory Pugh, Sophia Smith. We saw all those players play quite well in this game. And it led to two halves that felt quite different. And so maybe my question for your party, and this is like the question. Yeah. Is how does the U.S. manage this? How does it manage having so many different uh, people on, on different kind of emotional cycles of what's going on, people in different stages of their career with different goals in mind on this team? You want to have veteran leadership. That's very important. How do you make, how does Vladko Andonovsky maintain this group and not get this wrong? Hmm. For me, the answer is kind of easy, but I think this is more about my personal philosophy than anybody else's. You stick with what's working and what's working right now is like you mentioned, just as one example, Mallory Pugh and Sophia Smith coming on and bringing a new vibe, a more cohesive vibe to that game. And I think right now you're seeing, I think that's like the shell of the next version of the USWNT right in front of you, Mm -hmm. because Alex Morgan is a veteran, but I think she's still young enough to easily be in the conversation for the next cycle. For sure. Yeah. Right. She's 31 now, I believe. And by the time 2024 rolls around, she'll be 34. Based, based on so, the U.S.'s, the length of your average U.S. player, yes, absolutely. Right. So she, I think, will provide great veteran experience. Um, He's a good link, probably. Right. Yeah. Tobin Heath will probably still be around. I mean, or could be, anyway. I right. mean, with it, right, they're still, I mean, her press, uh, you know, when she comes back. So at least up front, there's a way I think to bridge those gaps Mm -hmm. that, you know, you're losing, you're losing Lloyd possibly Rapino sooner rather than later. And then that's true further back. Also Um, Sauerbrunn will probably be gone sooner rather than later, but Davidson and doll Kemper right there. Mm -hmm. Um, Really just across the pitch. That's the case. So And especially now that because of the pandemic, the cycle is a little bit shorter this year. Integrate those younger players and now give them as much experience with players that realistically could still be battling for spots for the 23 World Cup, for the 24 Olympics. See where that takes you. I think don't spend too much time on the veterans that maybe won't make it to the end of the cycle. I mean, don't, I mean, don't try to shoehorn them in if they're still there and they're still performing. Right. You're not shoehorning anyone in. Right. But don't forget while you have this 
batch of matches that is smaller than usual to integrate people to actually integrate them. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely. I felt like in the second half when they brought Pew on, and I want to be clear as well, you know, it's not just that they're younger and it's not just that they're new faces. Sophia Smith and Mallory Pew are in great form right now. It's not just that they provide a different look. It's that they are playing really well. Um, I thought Pew herself, by the way, is kind of veterany. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Exactly. And I do think it's interesting that you look at that group and who played and who didn't. And I do think that Andonovsky is trying to, you don't like, for example, you don't see Lynn Williams getting a ton of minutes, right? So that's a, that's a known property, right? That's a player that uh, the, the team is very comfortable with. And they also have to manage playing the stars here as well, because this is a little bit of a, a tour around, around the country for fans and getting Pew in there, getting Smith in there, those players that did not go to the Olympics. I think that that's good. I think that that's positive. I think having Katarina Macario play a whole game is, is another positive. Um, I just thought what Pew brought on the ball to that game and what Sophia Smith brought on the ball in terms of technicality was an, a next level to what we saw in the first half. And then from there, it's just a, a point of, okay, do we want this to be a facet of who this team is or do we want the team to change? And I think that um, the U S has gotten bogged down in the past with trying to have too many facets to what they can do rather than committing to some changes. So let's talk about this. So as of right now, we only have one confirmed retirement still just the one true. Holly Lloyd will be playing her last, her last game with the U S on Tuesday so that is one number nine, one center forward who was in heavy rotation with Alex Morgan throughout 2020 or 2021. That, that was really kind of an equal partnership between the two of them. You didn't have a clear starter. If you are Vladko, are you targeting number nines right now? Which there aren't, they don't not exist. There are a number of nines in the league, right? You got Ashley Hatch, you got Bethany Balser, you got... Morgan Weaver. He got a couple. Or do you say, wow, we have a number of exceptional wingers. There are wingers, really good wingers that didn't even get called up into this camp that are truly the future. We have a really strong core of creative midfielders. Does the U.S. flirt with a 4 4 I or like a four, is, three, one, two, maybe something like that. I think now is as good a time as any to flirt with it, right? Because yeah. either you end up with your new permanent starting um, lineup, starting formation, or you end up with something that if you need to change the game up a little bit, there it is. Everybody knows it and everybody can go with it. At the end of the day, you kind of have to, you, you have to, you're at the disposal of the player pool, yes, right? right? So it definitely feels like I would be interested to see it. I think, you know, again, really the question I have is why not? Right. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, I know for me, I would love to see at some point um, you, you, right. You have someone like Smith or Pew sitting in that top two. You have uh, you ask Alex Morgan either to drop back a little bit more into more of a false nine, or you have Katarina Macario Cario filling that role. Um that allows the people behind her to be, you know, you probably have two creative midfielders and then a more classic six. We all know the issues that the U S has at the six, obviously. Yeah. Um, they still have the same options that they've had in the past, right? They've got Andy Sullivan and they've got um, Julie Ertz and you've got players coming up like Jalen Howell. Like they would have to fill that role as well, but I would be really fascinated to see something like that. And I don't think it would require bumping anybody off of the field while still optimizing the talent level that you have. And so I'm, yeah. I'm interested by that possibility for sure. Right. I don't think it's such a harsh transition. Right. So this really, you know, you've got free games from now until World Cup qualifying, at least. Mm -hmm. So might as well use them, you know, see what you can do. Could right. Be fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, would love to see it. Would love to see it. And I think that, that also allows when we talk about like a player, like, for example, Margaret purse, who is playing incredibly well this year, 
instead of thinking of her as an outside back conversion, if you're really trying to prioritize the wings that there you go, you want Midge purse as one of your wingers, you know, it, it, it opens things up a little bit. And so I like that idea. Um, I doubt they'll do it on Tuesday. Tuesday is really about something else. And this is actually my final question slash thing that I thought watching this game um, is that I do think, and this is, I don't know if this is like an alarm bell ringing or if it's natural or if it's both, but I do think that we've seen this year, the U S struggled to match the intensity of their opponent. And so I think that even in that South Korea game, despite the fact that I thought that they were problem solving pretty fine, right. They were kind of executing the way that they, that they could didn't quite get the final product in front of goal. It just did not feel like the commitment was being matched. The commitment that we saw from South Korea was being matched by the U S and again, you can look at that as a friendly, but we also saw them struggle with that in the Olympics. Do you think Pardeep, we are watching a team get a little bit burnt out. I could see that being the case. Yeah. I think burnout is sort of like a hard thing to predict. Yeah. Right. But it can, I mean, it can hit you at any time. I think every person probably listening to this podcast knows exactly what that means and what that feels like. It does feel that way. It, there needs to probably be some sort of new energy brought in. I don't necessarily right. mean like switch out the older players, bring in newer ones, but just a little bit more clarity, maybe. Right. It sort of feels yeah. like, right. They, they're missionless right now. Yeah. And I don't think that's a permanent thing at all. After all, you know, there there's a world cup in a couple of years and an Olympics a year after that. But, and so it, I mean, look, the September friendlies and the October friendlies, I was always going to kind of put an asterisk next to because those are the those are the those are the uh that's the Olympic team that has to play and sort of you know, then it feels weird, like okay, we're still the Olympic team. The mission isn't quite right coherent to the future. You're always trying to look to the future. So I think in November that could change. I think once you start getting a clarity of mission, the maybe things start to come together. But right you know, why couldn't it be burnout? I think it, it's been such a, it has been a very strange few years for every last one of us. Yeah. And obviously, you know, there were teams that succeeded at the Olympics. There were teams that didn't. That kind of stuff right, just they, hits they everybody. The emotional lift right now that they might have. Right. Exactly. Because like, I mean, you know, they were happy to win the bronze clearly, but it also wasn't what they set out to do and it was very much a consolation prize yeah yeah no i wonder i do wonder a little bit and i don't think there's an easy answer and certainly um i, I don't presume to know exactly what's going on from the outside but there are you do wonder a little bit we saw crystal dunn and Kristen press both take this international window off honestly props to them for that i think that's great take Agreed. the time that you need. It's really important. It'll make the team better in the future and it'll be good for you. Um, I wonder a little bit, you know, you see some, some players like a player like Julie Ertz who got through the Olympics and then was kind of like, actually my body can't handle this right now. That's also a little bit sort of taking your own time to, to come back. And I think, I wonder if more players might need that a little bit, and if they can't take it themselves, if the program needs to be like, you're okay, we're going to give you actually two months off though. We're going to give you two months off of, of international friendlies. We'll see you in January. Yeah. I mean, and then bring in the, yeah. bring in the people who are hungry for it and want to want to be there. I'm not saying that no, and no, anybody doesn't want to be there, but you, that stuff sneaks up on you. Right. And so I just wonder a little bit, you talk about the long-term management of the health of the team now would be the time maybe for a manager to say, okay, we did the farewell games. We did, you know, we did the, the four games in September and October. I am telling you to take a little bit of time off here. And I wonder if you might have some people come back in January feeling a little bit more refreshed and ready to go. Yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about Crystal Dunn and Kristen Press and even Julie Ertz. The way the schedule, the women's soccer schedule is set up is that actually now is a really good time to take a break. Right. So, you know, it's, and now 
look, people have also really increasingly thought about their own mental health and mental well being, which is a great thing. Mm -hmm. So maybe look, I think it would be a, I would think it would be a great decision on any coach's part, any federation's part to just be like, take these, take this time for yourself. We'll see you when we see you. Obviously this doesn't impact your standing with this team or anything like that. Just take your time and we'll see you when, you know, we've got a next scheduled date coming up. I think that's a totally acceptable thing to do. I think it's probably the right thing to do. I do wonder if the Federation wouldn't be as willing to do it right away, even though I think kind of right away might be a fun idea because I think the right way to sort of, well, I mean, anybody can do whatever they think is right, but I think you should probably afford players the opportunity to after, you know, maybe going so hard for the Olympic for a world cup and then an Olympics the year after to basically right away be like, Hey, take it. Right. easy and we'll see you later yeah just any sort of and it gives the agreement. team a chance to try yeah. new things right um exactly. and we do talk about this a lot right part of the the heavy crown the heavy crown that the u.s wears is this balance of how much grace do you even have to try new things before people start really doubting you if you drop a couple of results right we saw jill Ellis yeah. deal with this seen Vlako Andonovsky deal with this, right? Um, he has not lost very many games, but when you do lose and you're the United States, the question come. So for example, they're probably going to Australia in November and it's going to inherently look different because Carly Lloyd's not going to be on the team, which is going to be significant. And I think that's another thing we have to talk about when talking about these games. The U.S. doesn't always do amazingly with these farewell games, right? They lost the Abby Wambach game. They tied the Jill Ellis farewell game also against South Korea. Um, I think that they're going through, you talk about matching the energy. The U.S., you know, whatever personal opinions people feel about Carly Lloyd, her leaving this team is an emotional thing. She's been with the team for like 17 years. Okay. She's been the face of it for many of them. And she's passing the number off, right? It's a real passing of the guard. It's an emotional time. These players that have been playing in the end of USL have been going through the emotional ringer over the last couple of months. In addition to just being very physically tired, I get where they're at right now. Um, and so I don't know what the expectations should be on, on Tuesday. I mean, I hope they have fun. Um, I hope that, I think it'll be, it'll be chilly. It's going to be up in Minnesota and we're really seeing the season turn at this point. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I mean, party, maybe I'll, I'll just open this up to you. What would you like to see on Tuesday and what do you think would be a fitting end to what, what would be the perfect last game for, for Carly Lloyd? Do you think? Hmm. So what I would like to see on Tuesday is something you actually just mentioned. I would like them to have fun. And I don't know that this team has had fun in a while. Yeah. I, again, I don't know what that's about. I, I, I have no reason to suspect anything. Just, I don't, it doesn't, they don't, they don't look like they've been having fun in a while. So I think to watch these players enjoy their soccer would be very nice, mm-hmm. regardless of, it being Carly Lloyd's last game. <sighs> I mean, I'm sure Carly Lloyd would love to finish her international career with Get at goal. least one goal. <laughs> I mean, I, she'd probably like to finish with a hat trick for all we know, but I think she'd rather, I, I would say, I bet she'd rather get like the game winner of a close one. Mm, than, than yeah, get, like, that's true. That's know? true. I mean, the hat trick in the world cup is a very different story, but yeah, no, Definitely something engaging, entertaining, fun, objectively speaking. That would that would probably be a fun one. And then, yeah, that would probably be it. That would probably be the nice way to end Carly Lloyd's career. And then and then getting like switched off a little bit early so everybody can do the standing ovation. All yes, of, that. of course. Right, right, right. The symbolism needs to be there, too, if we're going to write the script. But right. no, the funny yeah. thing is that because it is her last game. I assume she will start. I don't know, but um, but probably if they want to win the game, they should have her come off the bench. Yeah. <laughs> Just really yeah. eager, eager for something. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, these games only matter so much, but again, I think we got kind of an illuminating glimpse into where the team's at on Thursday, and I was, I felt, um, 
happy to see that because I think that I know for me, and I'm sure for you too, party, um, we're starting over the cycle keeps going. Right. And, and so the, the Olympics happened and, and we're trying to figure out what comes next. And I think seeing a team of, of a couple different minds is how you start. And mm-hmm. in a way that is good news, because it would be really scary. I think if the team didn't have multiple things going on right now, so yes. it's a, it's a good problem to have that you have so much young talent coming up that you don't know how to manage it all, but it's a big job to have to do that as well. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm really looking forward to the next set of games where finally the contractual obligation of having the Olympic team is done. Mm-hmm. And basically anybody can come. I feel like we'll finally really get to see what Vlatko Andonovsky was hired for. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also will say the other thing in the back of my mind that I do at least want to point out is that the U.S. was missing three starters. They didn't have Crystal Dunn, Julie Ertz, or Kristen Press you know it they're it's fine they're fine um yeah and look credit to korea it was actually a really entertaining match despite the scoreline because it was a great nil-nil yeah yes yeah yeah. it was two teams that i think had done enough to maybe earn more goals but that's what made it slight that's what made it engaging at least for me is that it was two teams trying stuff or yeah yeah two teams trying stuff that's all you can ask for yep Exactly. So briefly, we are also going to talk about before we move on to segment two, which is just going to be sort of a larger look at the league. Um, we're going to talk about the one NWSL game that did happen this weekend. This was the final of the uh, rescheduled games from the suspended weekend. This game, I, I don't know exactly what options people had. I'm sure venues were an issue, that sort of a thing. But it looked like some teams decided to do midweek kind of crammed in with all of their players. And these two teams, Kansas city and Gotham said it was okay to do it during the international break. So without their internationals, but they got a little bit more time to, to prep for it. So Gotham, this was the big game in hand, right? They actually still have one, but oh, yeah. they, I, this was one of the big games in hand. And when we always are talking about Gotham scenarios, they're dependent on the game in hand results, right? Now they don't win this game. They tie it. And this was in Kansas city. And what we've seen is that it is really hard for teams to play Kansas city in Kansas city right now. It is a little bit playing to the field. I'm sure it's a weird little field. Um, It speaks to Kansas city's improvement. Um, I think that I know that I was very impressed that they were able to get this result without Desiree Scott or AD French. I think that those are two really important players to their spine. Um, So, you know, what to say about this game? Gotham still looked good, honestly. Um, again, you know, Midge Purse is a U.S. Women's National Team player in talent level who just simply is not playing with them right now. So having her, I think, was a huge asset to Gotham. And then Kansas City, just tough, tough to play. They kept working at it. They got a penalty uh, that was sunk by Kristen Edmonds, and, and that was all she wrote. And so, again, I think you're seeing a little bit of an emotional let down in just the fact that this was a rescheduled game happening during international break, all of that sort of stuff. But um, we have to wait. It's cool because we're setting up the showdown, right? In the last, we love so that. If you have any thoughts about this game in particular, other than just like, well, we got it in, got the game in, it went this way. No one really played all that great <laughs> or that poorly uh, and sites on the last regular season weekend. Yeah. Um, you hit on some important points. I would just like to remind everyone that I did predict that Midge Purse would have a great run of form after not making the Olympic squad, though her injury delayed that. And also, it was probably a really easy prediction. So <laughs> she's a great player. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, she was great again. I thought Gotham were a little bit inconsistent. Yeah. But they can afford the inconsistency. They've got probably the best schedule ahead of them of the teams that still need to clinch a playoff spot, a game at Louisville and then a game at home against Louisville. Yeah. My, uh, my real, my big takeaway is that Kansas city are finally converting their season long strategy of being a really hard team to play against and a really hard team to beat into actually getting points and sometimes winning matches. I think they're in what six matches unbeaten at home. Yeah. So it's cool to see them finally convert that. Um, 
their strategy doesn't always make for the most interesting games. Right. But that's fine. <laughs> I think that's- I think it's a great place to start. I mean, I think that for an NWSL team that needs to reform an identity, I think starting with being hard to play is a great foundation. And so mm-hmm. if, even if you have to spend a whole season focusing on becoming difficult to play, that's okay. This is a hard league. And then you can go from there um, and, and build on that. We are, we already know the, the myriad of ways that Kansas city is trying to build on this momentum going into next season, whether it's facilities or branding, or I'm sure they have some roster moves up their sleeve. They are immune right to the, to the expansion draft. And so, um, yeah, I respect it a lot. I think going back, you know, you, you can go back to episodes of this podcast where we talked about worrying that Kansas city was just going off the deep end emotionally as well. And they have turned that around. I think we're starting to see a team that is a Kansas city team rather than the Utah team that had to be saved. Right. Yeah. And so that's great. I I think that's, I think that's awesome. And I love that they're leaning into the spoiler a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember saying or thinking at one point that they had all of the vibes of the team that's still in construction, the soft launch team. They're drifting away from that now. They're everything's coming together and that's a nice thing to see. And it'll be fun to watch them evolve. Yep, definitely. So that was the game. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what's coming up next in segment two. We will be right back. Stick with us guys. We'll be talking NWSL. This has been the Equalizer Podcast. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer Podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Party Catry. Before we jump in here, rate and review this podcast. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. It really helps people find us. We're kind of out here doing our own independent thing in, on these, uh, on the, in these Wilso streets. So go ahead, give us a review. It helps people find us. It's really important, and I appreciate it. Okay, so we're going to be talking NWSL, some larger league stuff. Um, where things sit going into the last regular season weekend. Um, nice to have a moment, I think, to reflect because we're seeing some new trends because this has just been a season of trends, ups and downs, some things that are surprising, some real resilience by some teams. Um, so we'll get into it. So to, so to start here, let's talk about the table. Now, this hasn't changed from last week, but just to sort of set the scene, Portland Thorns are in first. They have clinched the shield. They will get a first round bye and they will host a semifinal. We know this. Now, because of Gotham's game in hand still, we do not actually have that second by clinched yet by, by anybody. As of this moment, OL Reign, Gotham, and Washington Spirit, I believe, are all still in the running for this. So they're going to be fighting for that in this regular season, this, um, this regular season finale. OL Reign and Washington have clinched playoffs in general. Now, Gotham without winning, if they had won against Kansas city, they also would have clinched playoffs. They have to wait one more week for that. But like you said, they have an available six points to them. It's highly unlikely that that's not going to happen for Gotham. Now the other teams in contention here, we have Chicago currently sitting in fourth Houston and North Carolina and the Orlando pride racing Louisville and Kansas city have all been mathematically eliminated. So the team currently sitting out of a playoff position is actually the North Carolina Courage. Now they are tied with on points with the Houston Dash. But here's the thing. To clinch playoffs, Chicago actually could lose their final game against Orlando. But if they get even a point, they're in. Even a point and they're in. That's like the easy scenario, right, for Chicago. Now for North Carolina, the easy scenario it goes in the other direction, which is they don't beat Portland in Portland. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I'm going to be honest. I think people have had a lot of fun with the sort of wild mathematical possibilities of a three-way tie or a four-way tie. You know, Chicago loses. Gotham only wins one of their next two. Houston and North Carolina both win. That's how you end up with a mess. I'm going to be honest. I think it's not going to be that exciting. I think Chicago (laughs) gets a point. I think North Carolina doesn't get three. And I think that is your playoffs. I think your playoffs are going to be, I'll say it right now, Portland, OL Reign, Washington, not necessarily in this order, but Portland, OL Reign, Washington, Chicago, Houston, and Gotham, I think in not the most shocking turn of events uh, for North Carolina this season, but a, a surprise in, in, the, in, in, the, in a vacuum. I think the North Carolina Courage are going to be out. 
I don't think that's necessarily bad. I think that they have a lot of regrouping to do. Um, Pardeep. Yes. Do you agree? Oh, totally. Yeah. I think um, to me, the real questions about the final weekend are if certain teams whose status is more or more or less locked in, like um, like the Thorns and actually the Pride, how much effort are they going to put into these matches? Right. Right. Like the, like the Thorns technically would, I mean, they've clinched their bye, so they kind of have two weeks off. And then there's always that question of how do they manage that? Right. But, um, you know, I think even then, the Courage are not in good form. It's been a rough several weeks for them, obviously. I don't think they have the upper hand in this situation at all, whether it's just playing against Portland or even getting a playoff spot. Right. And I think everybody else as a result will just, they're in a much better situation than them across the board. Right. My right, bet is against with, the courage right now. Right. Yeah. You know, that that's a good point. And I think that I do think that um, mentally not having your back against the wall can actually be a lift, you know, like I bet the red stars are feeling pretty good. I bet they're like, okay, all we got to do is go get a point. We're in great. You know, um, for Houston, they are a little bit more with their backs against the wall, right? They, they may need to get a result, um, in their last game, which I believe is against Washington. Um, yes. And, and Washington, it's going to be interesting. Like they, despite all odds, they look great right now. Yeah. They look great. And so credit to those players. Yeah. And so I'm sure for them, I'm sure they would first of all, like to host a playoff game by making getting either the third or the fourth spot. Right. Or Um, even getting the buy or even getting the buy. Yeah, exactly. So they have to be motivated for that. I'm sure. Um, again, like for Chicago, they might be able to host a quarterfinal if they get three points against Orlando. There's some real incentives there for the, for the teams that are already feeling good. And I think that it's tough. You talk about burnout, you talk about sort of the weight of all of this. I think the team, unfortunately, the team where all of this is just falling on their shoulders, both just competitively and everything else is North Carolina. Um, and I think it's going to be really tough for them to, cause Portland's going to want to win this game. I think not only there's some, there's some rivalry there just in general, I'm sure they would like to end North Carolina's season, but, um, they do have a buy. They're going to have a week off. So whatever good vibes they can build up now, I think they're going to want to do that. Um, if we do get into like a three-way or a four-way tie, it'll come down to, I think a three-way head to head. Um, the red stars don't have a head to head on anybody except for Washington. And I don't actually think that's, they're in any danger of, of being tied with them. Goal differential will come into play. Um, it's unclear whether once it's unclear if you have a three-way tie, whether one team gets pulled out of that. And then you go back to a two-way tie break again. I don't think it's going to come to that. I really don't. Um, you guys can, can laugh at me if I'm wrong, but, um, the only thing I would really want to watch is Houston. They're in okay form, not the best, not the worst. I think so. And I don't know if they're likely to beat the spirit. We'll see. But I still think the hardest task is the North Carolina courage. Well, I think that's interesting too, right? You think about Houston, they're probably, like I said, I think they're probably going to make the playoffs. I'm not sure they're going to host a playoff game. Um, yeah. There's still a scenario where I think they could, but um, you have to think for them, it's about building momentum. They're playing the spirit. They might play the spirit. They might, that might be their playoff. That might be their quarterfinal is, yeah. is against, against the Washington spirit. So you're starting to really collect tape. And I think it's hard to be thinking about playoffs before you've clinched, but that's kind of how the season has gone. And I even can say for Chicago, they've been thinking playoffs for weeks now and knowing that they have to get the results that they've gotten in order to even make the playoffs. So I, I am fascinated by that. Um, I don't yeah. know, Party. Do you have any, any thoughts? Houston, I think is also interesting because on the day they can be great. Right. Um, yes. But it does depend a little bit on full team buy-in and a little bit of belief. Um, you keep waiting for the, in general, you, you keep waiting for the Washington spirit to come back down to earth and they haven't, they've been very, very good. Oh, all rain, um, is, is also a very good team, but they're not impenetrable. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Portland is also really interesting too. Cause we talked about this last week, very consistent, right. Relying on a lot of basic club principles that, uh, have served them well for a long time. 
but they're not really lighting the world on fire right now. But yeah. I also just think no matter what, it's going to be really hard to to go to Providence Park in a semifinal and play them. So, um, yeah, especially because it'll be go time for them. Yeah. And they're, right. Right, they're just one of those teams that's programmed that way, that when it's time, they'll pr- the aim is to kick it into a different gear. Yeah. And I think it's great. I mean, I always want to highlight the off the field stuff because it's very important. But I do also want to give props to the players on these teams because there are a lot of really interesting soccer things that are about to happen. And that is just due to their ability to um, do their job quite well, even in a very tumultuous time. And let's actually talk about that a little bit. Uh, The NWSL has a new interim CEO, not a commissioner, not a president, a CEO, an interim CEO in Marla Messing, who it became clear over this last week or so that the connection here is actually through the 99ers. So she was involved in the uh, 1999 world cup and she knows Cindy Parlo Cohn, who is currently the head of us soccer federation. Um, she knows Julie Foudy. She knows some of these major players in the league right now. And she was brought in to clean up a lot of messes and keep the ship moving while a lot of other work is getting done. They're trying to meet the NWSLPA's demands. They are trying to plan a championship in a new location last minute. There's a lot of things that they're trying to do right now. She had a call with media this week. Um, Pardeep and I were both on that call. I'll, I'll just kind of kick it over to you, Pardeep. What were your thoughts on, on Messing's introduction to media, stuff she had to say, all of that stuff? It was the definition of an introduction. She was very clear that it was only day three on the job. And to be fair, this was not a job that I think, I mean, she couldn't have had a lot of time to prepare for. I mean, we were only talking like three or four weeks ago where this wasn't even a situation. Right. So, you know, again, it's, it's very introductory, but she was clear about what her priorities were, which I think are the right priorities. It was to meet the players association, meet their demands, talk about increasing the safety and professionalism of the environments, these players and other people work in. Um, That was most of the insight, most of the specifics she had to offer were on that. Um, The other, I think really interesting uh, bit was that she said that Steve Baldwin has received an extension on his response to the league investigation because they are confident he will sell the team. Mm -hmm. And I believe she was pressed on what an owner, an ideal owner of the Washington spirit would look like. And she did say that it was a Washington DC based person. So those were really the two things coming out of that for me. Yeah, that is significant, right? She didn't, she did not have a lot of leeway, I think, to give an opinion or a lot of information on the Steve Baldwin situation. But yes, the commitment to keeping the team in DC, I think was very important. Uh, I thought she did a, a good enough job of answering, answering with a philosophy, even the questions that she didn't actually have concrete answers to, which I think is fine. You know, I think that she's there to set the tone. I think she did a good job of that. She was asked about a number of league initiatives that didn't have to do with player safety. And she was constantly bringing the conversation back to player safety, which I think is positive. Um, But it is just true. There a commissioner left in the middle of the season. And this is someone who did not have, even if she was aware of the league, did not have access to the, the rules, protocols, um, documents necessary to take over until she did. And that was, and admitted to it. She, She said that she's unfamiliar with a lot of things from, you know, bylaws and how the board of governors interacts with the league office to other league initiatives. Right. Again, it was only her third day. Right. And I think, unfortunately, I think, you know, it's um, it's very human to be impatient in these moments, but she can only do what she can do. So I would say that it was a perfectly fine introduction. I think that she set a good tone. Um, it did not feel like she was running away from questions. She was just being honest about the things she did and did not know. Um, we'll see if it's different than Lisa Baird. You know, it, that, that just comes with time. Felt like Lisa Baird also at the beginning of her tenure was yes. very open about the things she did not know. Um, the issue and being that, I, that did not improve. <laughs> so, <laughs> And if I may, I actually yeah. at one point in the last several weeks reflected on Lisa Baird's introductory mm-hmm. media availability. 
And at the time, it also felt like she was fine admitting to the stuff she didn't know, but she was also answering the right questions for what maybe we collectively thought would be the right person for the job. Mm -hmm. Because remember that Lisa Baird showed up just a few months after this very popular and very successful Women's World Cup that had the potential to boost women's soccer all over the place, including in the United States. So she was, there was a lot of attention on marketing, business related stuff, how to, how to make this league more profitable. Right. So she was answering those questions correctly. But I think if you want to compare that introductory media availability with Marla Messing's introductory media availability, they were both doing what I think people were expecting of them, but Marla Messing's media availability really highlighted the things that lots of different people were not even thinking to address just a year and a half ago, basically. It's not like player safety or even anything that I'm sure the players are negotiating for in their collective bargaining agreement. It's not like that stuff wasn't on the table when Lisa Baird showed up. It wasn't some brand new issue that came together. You can probably trace a very long history of labor negotiations with women's soccer players that predates Lisa Baird, Lisa Baird by a while, but yeah, it's just spotlighting now certain things that many of these league, this league's leaders missed out or weren't willing to even make a priority. And I think it was really important that even, so the one other I think relatively newsy thing that came out of the messing availability was that she said that the NWSL needs a rebrand that the, well, uh, that was something that had been talked about before it was right up to her. It was more just, um, they have this, that was honestly like Lisa Baird's main initiative. If things had all gone perfectly would have been uh, a 10 year anniversary rebrand rebrand. Yeah. So I think that, no, I think she did a nice job of getting it back to player safety. Yeah. I mean, right. I think that- she, she very literally said we have uh, the NWSL has to get their house in order first before they right. can even think about a rebrand. So, yeah. And I think that that's good. I mean, I think again, it's all just messaging. I think that um, we'll see, we, we will just see, we'll see how things have improved. I, she did say that the NWSL has in principle agreed to the PA's demands. Um, I've heard that the, the PA agrees with that, that they have an agreement in principle. I think there are still some details to be worked out, but um, that's good. If this is going to continue, if this league is going to continue, this is this is the first step. And getting new people, getting new people in the room, improving communication, improving transparency, that's going to be something that does not happen overnight. But these are the steps forward. So prioritizing those things. Yes, exactly. All right. So enough about the league. League's boring. (laughs) Let's talk about players. Let's 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 get into let's get into some fun soccer stuff here to close out. Um, so we have one more weekend of the regular season left, and this is actually, I think the perfect time to do this because it's really easy to let postseason get into your brain when you're thinking about these things. I want to talk player superlatives. We're going to talk through MVP golden boot race is still up in the air. We've got a couple great contenders for that. Ashley hatch, Midge purse. Um, I think, uh, so MVP defensive player of the year, rookie of the year, coach of the year, goalkeeper of the year. Um, we're not going to get into a full, uh, team 11 just cause we're running out of time, but we'll hit the big ones. So party let's start. Actually, let's start small and then we'll get to the, we'll get to the big ones. Okay. Okay. Goalkeeper of the year. Um, I picked Casey Murphy in the end. Honestly, she... I think that's a great choice. Yeah. 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 I mean, what I found this season in the NWSL was that a lot of teams were leaky in the back at times, yeah. not necessarily over the course of a whole season, not for everybody anyway, but every team had sort of rough batches back there. But I think she was really consistent um, on a team that was struggling. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, and yeah, I mean, the, the team she played for, the courage they had, um, they struggled all over the place, but she kind of was sort of 
consistent. I'm repeating yeah. myself. No, but. I, think that's fair. I know for me, I, with a lot of these, I struggle because the U.S. or not the U.S. Well, thinking about the U.S., but um, the NWSL did not take an Olympic break, meaning that you had a lot of people in and out. And so I'd go back and forth on what's disqualifying just even in terms of games played. And Same so that's here. where you have a player like Kaylin Sheridan, who is exceptional. She's just as good this year as she has been any year. But was this her year to hold the team together. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, the way Gotham plays does rely a lot on their goalkeeping, but um, I don't know if you miss a fourth of your, of your team's games, can you be uh, the goalkeeper of the year? And so I think that that's where I land on Casey Murphy. I agree. I think that um, Bella Bixby has been very good, but she was not the starting goalkeeper the whole year. Um, she split that with 80 French. Yeah. I think that if you look at all of the, all, you know, just all of the contingencies, I have to agree. Casey Murphy. There were a lot of good goalkeeping performances this year too. Yeah, I but agree. so, but you know, Casey Murphy definitely. I also like the longstanding tradition of giving goalkeeper of the year to a team that didn't necessarily play that well. You know, I think that that you see <laughs> that a lot though, don't yeah. you? Where yeah. the goalkeeper has, they have a lot to do. So reliable for yeah. teams that otherwise are not right. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, I think maybe you have to put Ashlyn Harris in that conversation as well. She For had a sure. good year as well. Um, great. I agree. Casey Murphy, goalkeeper of the year. Okay. So how about this one? I'm not sure this gets easier. Coach of the year. Okay. Nobody? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. My instinctive pick, uh-huh. uh, a pick I'm willing to defend, is Laura Harvey. Yeah, I think that's fair. Because, fine, she wasn't there from beginning to end, but she came in and it was her job to recalibrate a team that had not set the league on fire. Right. Despite all of its potential and was honestly embarking on a pretty serious project, again, that had not come to fruition yet. Right. Small sample size, but still, you know enough was enough and they decided to fire Fareed Benstiti and bring in a known quantity and Laura Harvey. And what she did was she took that team. She turned everything around. They've basically been, I mean, they've easily been one of the best teams in the league since she showed up. Yeah, absolutely. She's realized that project that they've been working on and they got, I think, closer than I thought anybody was going to get to the thorns in this shield race. So that's my case for Laura Harvey. I think that that's a great option. Um, I think you have to give it to Mark Parsons, though. I yes, think that the yeah, job that, that he's I, done has <laughs> been exceptional. Not only did he coach the thorns to the shield, they won the Challenge Cup. They won. And this is not included, but like we all know it, they won the ICC. Um, he has been doing two jobs all year. Um, and he's maintained uh, a culture that, as far as we know, has been very positive and productive. And I, I don't know. I think I do think it's a little bit cheap to give it to the Shield winner, but he is one of the few coaches that has been there all year and had a team executing and staying. You know, it seemed like as well mentally and emotionally healthy. And so I think that I, I have to go with with uh, yeah as a fond farewell. I think I have to go with Mark Parsons here. and not not to play both sides here. But I mean, the other thing for me, which uh, why I would also feel just as comfortable giving it to Mark Parsons is that last year was supposed to be a big transition year for mm-hmm. the Thorns and they got like 11 games or maybe less. Yeah, so that's, that's not, very true. Yeah, that it's hard to sort of create or develop a new project and then have your entire project year be thrown away. Yeah. But they came into this year with the plan very clearly identified. Yeah. Everybody was basically on the same page and they didn't really have a lot of stumbling blocks to get here as the shield winners. So, I mean, if that's not really the definition of great coaching, I don't know what is. Right. Yeah. And, and I, you don't want to penalize Portland for being a, for being consistent and steady. I think it's easy to look at the more mercurial teams. You know, obviously Chris Ward's done a wonderful job. Laura Harvey has done a good job, but yeah, I I think I have to give it to to Mark Parsons. Okay. Defensive player of the year. What do you think? How do we define defensive? Uh, And either a center back or an outside back. Okay, great. Great. Okay. My pick is Caprice Didasco. All righty. Yeah. She, 
yeah, go ahead. She has been a joy to watch for starters. I mean, this isn't, I mean, I wouldn't, I want to describe her as a sensation. I wouldn't say breakout sensation. She's obviously been here for years. She's been doing this, Mm -hmm. but this has probably been her greatest season. She obviously battled some injuries a little while back. And so finally has the chance to showcase that ability again. And I think has been key to her team's success in a year where they have finally completed that rebound from being one of the worst teams in the league to a team that can compete against the best and can compete clearly for a playoff spot. Mm -hmm. So, and she's been doing that offensively. And I think she's also been really solid defensively. So to me, it's Capri Stidasco. I think that's a great choice. I've, it's been wonderful watching Capri Stidasco play this year. Um, I'm again going to go with a little bit less flashy, a little bit more steady and consistent. I just think Megan Klingenberg's had a really good year. Um, yes. And has a been, lot of solid years. Yeah. And just has been very important to maintaining the consistency on that back line that has people going, coming in and out. Um, Emily Menges got hit with a little bit of an injury bug at the beginning of the season. Obviously Becky Sauerbrunn has been in and out for international duty. The other outside backs have sort of been doing double duty between Kristen Westfall and Natalie Quica. I, I think that Kling has had a great year. I really do. Um, and, and, and I think it's interesting because maybe not quite as good over the last three or four games, but I still think that her body of work over the season um, should put her in contention, contention. For 100%. That. I agree with that. I also think, I think that it's not a surprise. I think this has been a year of the outside back. I think it's not yes. a surprise that both of our choices are outside backs. You don't see that a lot. I'm not sure an outside back has actually ever won defensive player of the year. It usually it's because Becky Sauerbrunn really, right. The Becky the Sauerbrunn defensive player of the year award. Um, Maybe she'll win again this year. We'll see. Yeah. No, I think that, I think that I've, some of the more exciting tactical approaches I've seen this year have been in outside back philosophies. And I've really Casey enjoyed Kruger that. also has had a Casey Kruger. I think Aaron Wright's played really well. Um, obviously I think Sophia Huerta getting pushed back there mm-hmm. recently. I mean, not enough for defensive player of the year, obviously, but getting pushed back there recently has been an interesting approach that just fits that style of play so well. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see the game develop in that way. And we're not just seeing outside back sort of making overlapping runs. Um, pushing forward so i think that uh yeah year year of the ob that's what i'm saying i'm saying it's the year of the fullback i would like totally a fullback to win defensive player of the year um okay here's the big one hardeep who is your nwsl mvp this was such a hard question it's really hard there year. have been a lot of very good and very different it's a diverse body of work across the league yeah yeah i had spent a lot of time thinking about this and i am still thinking about it actually yeah i'm not sure there's i'm not sure there's a perfect answer and i'm not sure there's a bad one yeah so it again off the top like instinctively the first couple the first person i thought of well the first two people i thought of were bethany balser Mm -hmm. and jess fishlock yeah. And then I thought of Ashley Hatch, who I thought has had a really brilliant season. And then so, but Balser was the first thing that came to mind. I clearly have been very impressed by the turnaround of the OL ring. Oh, all right. Yeah. I think that's super. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Um, to me, that has been like the big, the, the big, interesting soccer storyline mm-hmm. of the NWSL season. So she's my pick. I think she's, just been so consistent to me consistency wins these awards i mean probably that's true for everybody <laughs> but um yeah yeah she's been consistent she's been a leader on a team with a lot uh performance wise with a lot of really great performers she's my pick right now this could change in 20 minutes though yeah no i think i think that's not not a bad choice at all i um i i am interested by it because obviously so this is a league this year without Kristen press without Sam Kerr, right? Um, there's no person running away with the golden boot. This has been very like soccer is a team sport. This yeah. Year, it's been a know? really, yeah. It's that's been very what I was balanced. Too. 
And so that does make this difficult. And that is also why I'm inclined to say that my MVP pick is not actually a goal scorer because I think that, yeah, Ashley Hatch is having a great year, but it's because of the team behind her, you know, or, mm. or, you know, uh, Bethany Balser. I think that she actually has a stronger case for it in that we've seen her score from multiple positions. Um, yeah. and so I think that that is a, a point point to her. You even think about though, like there have been, there's been some fabulous six play. I think that Angela Salem it's has true. been very good. Um, yeah. Morgan Gatra has been very good. Yes. Mallory Pugh. This, this is the other one too, is that Mallory Pugh's stats are off the charts except goals and assists. So it's like, you have a player like that. That's absolutely like team MVP you talk about, but enough for the league. I don't know. Um, so I'm going to be, I'm going to go back to what I said a couple of weeks ago and I'm going to say just Fishlock. I think that she um, has been a leader. I think she has been consistent. I think she has scored when she's needed to, and has also not scored when that was not, you know, she has done other things. Um, she's played a variety of positions for the team this year. She's played the six, the eight and the 10, I think. Um, and I just think that that whole performance this year, even when the team was struggling, impressed me. And I think that she is one of the players that I look at a team and I say, man, when she's on the field, I'm not betting against that team, no matter what. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. I think I'm, I'm saying just fish luck. Um, I have loved her work this year. She is. Yeah. And you know, you even, I am, I am, uh, I'm tempted to, I wish you could like give it to two people because I think if you could give it to two yeah. people, I would give it to the pair of Ifioma Animanu and and Margaret first. Like like yes, if you could give has it been to a such duo. A... Right. I'd I mean, like, maybe there's a dynamic be... duo, you know. Right. But... If you could have like a fun award, like right. best, yeah, but dynamic duo. That right. that that has been a really fun connection to watch this year. Yeah, no and question. we've seen that we've seen that like in a for a couple of teams. And I think that right, soccer is a hard one for for an MVP award. I think famously. Um, all right, so I'm going to ask one that I would like the NWSL to add. Oh wait, we have two more actually. Sorry, I forgot. I forgot about rookie of the year. Rookie of the year. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, which is kind of hard because we have two kinds of rookies this year, right? We have true rookies and we have COVID rookies. So you would have a player like Morgan Weaver or Sophia Smith playing their first NWSL regular season, despite the fact this is their second year in the, in, in the league. Um, I mean, I think we probably all know who our favorite rookie is though, right? Trinity Rodman. Trinity Rodman. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> have you heard of her? Yeah. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. No, she's been amazing. Um, Though Emily and- Fox has a re- yeah, has a very true. serious that's argument. True. Though I think I think she's Robin let is down. Going she's to let win down it. by her team. I think struggling a little bit too much. But yeah. um, but yes. No, I think Emily Fox also has done quite well. Uh, but yeah, I think that's Trinity. Trinity Robin ran away with that months ago. I think. Yeah. Um, and then the one that I would like to add, and I legitimately like, I wish. First of all, I wish that these superlatives came with a money bonus and part of the reason and with that going along with that, this is why I would like to add this award because I think this is a great incentive award. Most improved. Who's your, I I know I'm dropping this on you real quick. So I'll give you a second to think most improved player that would actually be Ashley Hatch for me, I think. Yes, I think that's a good one. Yeah, That's a good one. You mean, because I was almost going into sort of like a comeback player realm, but sure. Ashley yeah, Hatch no, that's is a, a good, good one. That's a, good, that's a, that's a different, a that's a different question. Because right. my comeback player, I think might be Morgan Gatra. Yeah, no, that makes, right. Someone yeah. who's been dealing with, with injuries off and on and then. Right, and then right. we're finally seeing her perform at the level we know she is capable of. That's, you're totally right that those are two different things, right? Of like reaching a new level and being like, oh, I'm a little bit surprised that you were able to hit this next, hit this next level. And then the other one being like, it's so great to see you back at the level that we know you can play. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I think we could talk about this forever, but I do think that it would be great if, um, there, there are things, there are issues that come along with this, right. Especially if you think that maybe the media or the fans or the league itself got it wrong, but <laughs> I think the incentives are important and I think that they should come with money. And so I think that, um, all of these players should be rewarded for what they've done this season because, uh, really nice, again, just really nice bodies of work despite the, the tumultuous year, um, and, and sort of the chaos that we've seen some players have put together some really strong performances. So and maybe the real, I mean, there probably needs to be a special award of distinction really to the 
whole group of players. Mm-hmm. They have they have gone through a lot. Yeah. And not just this season. Yeah. They deserve quite a lot of respect for being able to put up consistently these performances, not just this season, but really over the course of their careers. And hopefully we don't have to watch them have to go to work and perform this well, despite horrible workplace situations. Well, yeah, I mean, hopefully they can just have that at least hopefully they can just have like a baseline of what a professional and safe working environment is. And then we can watch these players soar even more. Well, right. That's the whole thing, right? Is uh, if they can do this now, imagine how good this would be if, if they were supported the way that they deserve. Um, yeah, I agree with all of that. So it's been a good, I mean, it's been a lot, but in terms of the soccer, I'm enjoying where we're at right now. And I think the last weekend of games is going to be great. I think that the playoffs are going to be very exciting. Um, looking forward to the final in Louisville at the end of November. Uh, it's a competitive it group of teams. Yeah, it really is. And I think that we're going to see in these quarterfinals and even in the semifinals, I think teams are going to bring it. I think we might see an upset or two. And if you could even call it that because everything's been so close. So I guess yeah. the only team, the only team on upset alert, I guess would be Portland, but that is what goes along with winning the shield, I suppose. So for sure, <laughs> they're eager for that responsibility. All right. Awesome party. This was so great. I love talking about soccer stuff. It's it's I'm great to get back to it a little bit. Um, so thank you so much for joining me this week. I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. Thank you to Blue Wire Podcast, our distributors. We'll be back next week with more NWSL action and a completed playoff picture, which is very, very exciting. I love it. It's like decision day, decision day, 2021, decision weekend. I we guess. love it. We love yeah. it. You love to see it. All right. Let's talk to you guys next time.